here for years. The Stewarts are here today, beloved by Johnny and Iris. Of course, our late brother, Don Walker, how much we all appreciated and loved him. Brother Cody, Clay, Steve, Mike Bethel, one of the graduates of this school. It's just great to be with each and every one of you. Now, I have to let you know I'm here because of age, okay? Cody labors under the conception that with age comes wisdom. Now, that's true most of the time, but in this case, the problem is Cody doesn't know me, okay? So you're sort of stuck with what you have this morning. But we're looking at something in this workshop that is just amazing. It's tremendous. And so the handout, I hope everyone has one. Raise your hand if somehow you missed the handout. You'll need one to follow along with our study. Cody has asked me to teach this as a class setting, and so that's exactly what we're going to do. I may call upon people to read a scripture. If I do, please read it loud so I can hear it, so others can hear it. If I ask what something has said or what something means and you want to answer, please answer loudly. But again, let's look at this sheet. I want us to, first of all, begin by noticing the overall theme of what we're looking at this weekend. Look at it. It says, Arise and Grow Together, Biblical Principles for Congregational Growth. That first word, arise. Nothing is going to happen in the physical realm or in the spiritual kingdom until we do just that. We have to arise. What did Ananias tell Saul? Why do you delay? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling upon the name of the Lord. Acts 22 and verse 16. You go back to Luke 15, and this is the lesson for those who are erring. The prodigal in that far distant country, starving from hunger, what did he say? He said in verse 18, I will arise and go to my father and tell him I've sinned in heaven's sight in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But notice all that began with us rising up. Arise. Arise in what? Arise and grow. Isn't that what the Bible is teaching us to do? Isn't that what God beckons his child to do? Any parent who cares about their child, if they see that there is a problem with physical development, they're concerned. They want that child to grow. Remember Luke 2 and verse 52? Jesus increased in wisdom, in stature in favor with God and in favor with men. Well, that's the fourfold development of man. In wisdom, intellectually. In stature, physically. Favor with God, spiritually. In favor with men, socially. If we're not growing, there's a problem. And so, again, what does Peter say at the cl close of his second epistle? Do not fall from your steadfastness, but grow in the grace and in the knowledge which is in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 2 Peter 3, verses 17 and 18. And so arise and grow, but we grow together. There's one of the beautiful facets of this 
workshop this weekend. Growing together. You know, the mantra for families, for congregations, for marriages, it ought to be Psalm 34 and verse 3. Oh, magnify the Lord with me, and let us exalt his name together. Arise, grow together. How do we do that? Biblical principles is based upon the Bible. Again, Brother John will not be amused at this, but he was talking about teaching Bible in our Bible classes. We had a young family years ago leave the congregation, and it's one thing if people leave and they're going elsewhere to serve. But this couple, led by the father, they left the congregation. And the reason was, all we do in Bible class is study the Bible. I'm wondering, well, does he not know what we call his Bible class? What else do you do in Bible class? Biblical principles. I don't care what the world says today about congregational growth. Nor do I care what denominations teach concerning congregational growth. But I do care what God has revealed, what he said in his word. Biblical principles. Paul said in Acts 20 and verse 32, now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. The Bible. What saith the scripture? Romans 4 and verse 3. And once again, arise and go, grow together biblical principles for congregational growth. We mentioned Luke 2 and verse 52, individual growth. But congregational growth. Take your Bibles for just a moment. Turn with me, if you will, to Acts 16 and verse 5. We might mention this again in just a moment, but... Look at this. Here's how congregations grow, biblically. Okay? Acts 16 and verse 5. Notice what it says. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and increased in numbers daily. Notice what came first. They were strengthened in the faith. That's first and foremost. And then they grew numerically. They grew daily. When you put the proverbial cart before the horse, you have a disaster. When congregations think they're growing, and it's not growth God's way, then they're not growing at all. They're swelling. They're swelling. There's a serious malady. There's a serious problem. A cancer exists in that body. And so let's not forget the thrust of this workshop this weekend. Again, arise and grow together biblical principles for congregational growth. Look at, secondly, my assignment, creating and honoring leaders. Now what I'm going to do for just a second here, I want to switch that order. Nothing wrong with what it says here. This runs in a cycle. We create, we honor, we honor, we create. But here's the point I'm making right now. I truly believe that we're going to have a more difficult time 
creating leaders if their person and their work is not first respected and honored. So we honor and then we create. And we create and we honor. They go together. They harmonize perfectly, wonderfully, beautifully. But think about this. The problem we have in our society today in marriage, you know why we have that problem? Part of it is because we don't honor the institution. You can't encourage young people to create something that they have no honor for. What does God say about this? Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Let marriage be held in what? Honor. Let marriage be held in honor among all people. And the marriage bed be undefiled. For adulterers and whoremongers, God will judge. We honor marriage when that term is applied to things. It means dear, it means precious, it means valuable, it means prized. God says, let marriage, my institution of marriage, be prized. Let it be valuable to you. The term defiled, it means to be smeared with mud, to pollute. I've often talked to couples who have done just that. Trying to get them back on the right track of honoring this institution of marriage. If we do not, we will indeed drag it through the mud, as we're seeing today. And so honoring and creating leaders. Now, open up your study sheet. Look what we have here. We just have our three questions, and then we have several observations that we're going to be looking at. And I want to call your attention to every one of these questions. They're important. These are the questions that Cody supplied to me. At the end of each one of these questions, I guess it was Cody's additional question, just as, as insightful. But look at this first question. Read it with me. It says, how do we train and develop men to be godly elders and deacons in the church? And then, why is this important? So how do we train men? How do we develop men? You know, you'll be able to remember this lesson if you can remember three things. One pattern, one thing, and one way. If you remember those three things, you'll remember this lesson. We'll get to the pattern in just a moment, but let's answer that second question first. Why is it important? to train, and to develop men to be leaders. Well, look at the first observation. The importance of faithful, mature, and courageous leaders cannot be overstated. Everyone here agree with that? You can't understate, you can't overemphasize how important it is for congregations of the Lord's Church to have qualified, faithful, mature, courageous, dedicated leaders. Now, notice this next point here, Vince Lombardi's speech on leadership. I'm not going to read it all to you. I want to read you some excerpts, some little snippets of it. Just recently, I looked up Vince Lombardi's speech on leadership. 
And he used to give this to business management groups. And the particular article that I looked at, he delivered it June the 22nd, 1970. About a week later, he was ushered into the hospital with excruciating stomach pains. Three months later, he was gone. He died. So this really is one of the last speeches he made concerning leadership. Men, brethren, let me tell you, don't ever forget. First and foremost, you look for the leaders in the Bible. You concentrate on the examples that God has given us. But supplement that with great leaders throughout history. Read about Abraham Lincoln. Read about Winston Churchill. Read about Theodore Roosevelt. Read about men like Vince Lombardi and their profession. Read about men like John Wooten. Vince Lombardi, he led the Green Bay Packers to five NFL championships in seven years. And Green Bay also won the first two Super Bowls. He was a leader in his field. Now, I want you to hear this. I told my wife the other night, she's even read this, but I told her, I said, some gospel preachers, or at least call themselves gospel preachers, they won't even get close to saying some of the things he said back in the 70s. But listen to this. I love how it begins. We live in an age fit for heroes. Now, friends, that hasn't changed still do. He says, we live in an age fit for heroes. No time has ever offered such perils or prizes. Men can provide a full life for humanity, or he can destroy himself with the problems he has created. The test of this century will be whether man confuses the growth of wealth and power with the growth of spirit and character. If he does, he'll be like some infant playing with matches who destroys the very house he would have inherited. You are the leaders of this country. I believe it's the obligation of our leaders to see that we are awakened to this need unless we can do something to get everyone in America moving in that direction. We may not be able to keep America strong. Notice the next excerpt. Maybe we have too much freedom. Maybe we have so long ridiculed authority in the family, discipline in education, decency in conduct, and law in the state that our freedom has brought us close to chaos. Leadership is not just one quality, but rather a blend of many qualities. Contrary to the opinion of many, leaders are not born. Listen to that. Leaders are not born, they are made, and they are made by hard effort, which is the price we all must pay for success. We're talking about creating leaders, honoring those individuals. It will not be easy. It's like what Paul tells Timothy, take pains with these things, be absorbed in them, that your progress may be evident to all. 1 Timothy 4 and verse 15. Leadership, it is so needed today. Now, look at the next observation. Sheep without a shepherd, you know what they do. Look what it says. Will wander, languish, and die. Matthew 9, beginning in verse 36, Jesus looks at the multitudes. 
He feels compassion for them. Why? They were sheep without a shepherd that broke his heart. No leadership. As he himself would say, the blind leading the blind, Matthew 15 and verse 14. Look at the next point here. It says, when leaders are fearful, the sheep are filled with terror and trepidation. You don't have to go any farther than Numbers 13 to see that. What the ten spies say, let's take this land. I don't care if there's giants in this land. God has promised us this land. This land is ours. No, they said there are giants. We're, we're not able. What did Joshua and Caleb say? We are well able. It's interesting, the very next chapter, Numbers 14 and verse 24, concerning Caleb, God says of him, he has served me with a different spirit. His was not the spirit of fear. His was the spirit of faith. We can do this. God told us it's ours. Let's rise up. Let's take this land. But again, when leaders are fearful, the sheep are going to be also. Look at the next point. When pillars fail, the fall of the house is swift and complete. I have pillars in quotation marks because of Galatians 2 and verse 9. Paul, in that context, he refers to Peter, James, and John, who were reputed to be pillars. But the pillars were failing. You know what pillars do? They hold up a structure. They support a structure. Without pillars, ask Samson what's going to happen. He put himself between those pillars and pushed. And the house collapsed, didn't it? When pillars fail, men, we cannot fail. Oh, we can, but I'm saying we ought not. The work is too great. The need is too enormous. When pillars fail, what happens? Go deeper into Galatians 2 and verse 13. Even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. Barnabas, the one you read about in the book of Acts, who's always there. He's always ready for a good work. Not when pillars fail. It's a domino effect. Well, look at the next point. When shepherds feed themselves, the sheep are scattered. Ezekiel 34. Look at the next one. When shepherds are hirelings, the sheep are devoured. Leaders, every leader in here today, I want you this afternoon, sometime, please read what Jesus said in John 10, this context. The hireling. When he sees the wolf coming, what does he do? He leaves. You know why? Because the sheep do not belong to him. He does not care about the sheep. But Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd is going to be there. The hirelings are gone. They don't care. They're not invested in the sheep. Now, getting back to how do we train them? How do we develop them? Look what we said here. We train and develop men to serve according to the one pattern we have been given. One pattern. Do you realize, and I know you do, but our God is a pattern-minded God. Hebrews 8 and verse 5, make all things according to the pattern. 
And in that context, remember, you go later on concerning that pattern, thus did Moses. According to all that God commanded him, so he did. Moses respected that pattern. The pattern for the tabernacle, you build it like this. You go back to Genesis 6, the pattern, if you will, for the ark. Remember Genesis 6 and verse 22? Thus did Noah, according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Again, look at this second point. That pattern is found in his word. We could say his word is our pattern. As I mentioned earlier, what saith the scripture? In everything facing the child of God, every question you have, the first thing we ought to be asking ourselves is, what does the Bible have to say about this? What has our God revealed concerning this? What saith the scripture? And we need to learn not to add to it or to diminish aught from it. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 2. Do not add to his words lest he reprove you and you be found a liar. Proverbs 30 and verse 6. See, when I add to God's word, it's not because he lied. He doesn't have the problem. When I add to it, I'm the liar. I'm suggesting he said something that he never said. We need to learn how to not go beyond what is written. 1 Corinthians 4 and verse 6. And if any man goes too far and does not abide in the teaching or the doctrine of Christ, he has not the Father. But if any man abides in the doctrine, he has both the Father and the Son. Abiding in that teaching, always looking at that one pattern. Now, here's the point. Look at this last one. This pattern is seen through Moses and Joshua. We also find it regarding Barnabas and John Mark. Likewise, it's reflected in the relationship between Paul and Timothy, Titus. Here's what I'm saying very simply. We don't have to sit around and scratch our heads and say, look at this world and the condition of it, and, and look at the church, and it just looks like we're all going to the dogs, and, and what do we do and throw up our hands and start looking elsewhere for answers? No, let's get to God's Word, the pattern. How through the Bible did God want his men trained? How did he want them developed? And you see it with Moses and Joshua. In Deuteronomy 3 and verse 26, Moses is still pleading with God to go into the promised land. You know what God says about that? Speak to me no more about this matter. I don't want to hear anymore. In verse 28... He says, Moses, you strengthen, you encourage Joshua. He's the one that's going to lead the people into the promised land. What's he saying? Stop murmuring and start mentoring. That's what we need to do. It's that simple. We don't need to look to denominational bodies that are increasing, swelling in numbers and say, what do they do? They have to be doing something right. No, they don't. Again, you know, few there will be who find it. Many are those who walk upon that broad path. Numbers don't tell you faithfulness. They tell you numbers. That's all they tell you. And so Moses and Joshua, 
Barnabas and John Mark, Acts 15. Remember the problem between Barnabas and Paul? Paul says, we're not taking John Mark. He left us earlier in Pamphylia. I don't want him. Now, instead of two brothers feuding and the work stopping, the work was multiplied. Why? Barnabas said, I'm taking John Mark. I see something in John Mark. You know, they were related even in the flesh. But that relationship they had in Christ, Barnabas saw something, something he wanted to bring out in John Mark and, and did. You remember 2 Timothy 4 and verse 11? At the close of Paul's life, he will say, bring John Mark to me. He is useful to me for service. He's useful now. This is the one I said, I don't want. This is the one I said, we can't use him. Now, this is the one who's useful. Why is that, Barnabas? Oh, John Mark has to have credit also for growing up. But mentoring, again, they didn't start feuding and start a fight and interrupt the progress of the Lord's church. No, they were too godly, too mature for that. They multiplied the work. Paul says, I'll take silence then. And they continued working. Paul and Timothy, Paul and Titus. Both of those young men he calls my son in the faith. And you know, part of mentoring also, elders, deacons, Bible class teachers, gospel preachers, looking for young men. I'm not talking about men who have all of the check marks that we usually give. I'm talking about any young man that loves the Lord, that wants to serve Him. That's the young man that we need to take under our wing. The way a hen takes a chick. Help that young man. Mentor that young man. Look for those qualities. The world's not looking for some of those qualities. To be a leader, to be great in the world, you have to have many servants. Jesus said, men, talking to his disciples, I'm not talking like that. If you want to be great in my kingdom, you'll be the servant of all. You won't have many servants you will be a servant to many. I love the wisdom behind the story I heard about elders. They had a work, it was a difficult work that in a foreign field, they were taking some applications who could fulfill this work. And so a younger man applied for it. And one of the elders said, I'm going to talk to you about this. I want you to meet me at my house at 3 o'clock in the morning. And so at 3 o'clock in the morning, the young man was there. The elder met him at the door, said, come on, took him into his study, said, wait here until I get ready. Left him there until 8 o'clock in the morning. When the elder returned, he said, can you spell? The young man said, yes, sir. He said, spell dog. He said, D-O-G. He said, can you add? He said, yes, sir. He said, what is 2 plus 2? The young man said, four. He said, thank you. He said, I'm going to meet with the other elders tonight, and we'll let you know our verdict. When the elder met with the other men, he said, I believe this young man is qualified for a difficult work. He said, first of all, I tested him in self-denial. 
He left a warm bed at 3 o'clock in the morning to come out in the cold. He said, secondly, I tested him in promptness, and he was there on time. Thirdly, I tested him in patience. I made him wait for five hours before I even entered the room again. He said, and he didn't show any impatience at all. He said, next, I tested his temper. He said, when I finally arrived, there was no indignation whatsoever. He never questioned where I was, why I left him waiting. And he said, last, I tested his humility. I asked him questions that a five-year-old could answer. And it was no problem to him. He said, this man, knowing his Bible knowledge, understanding his attitude and his temperament, this man is qualified for the work we have. That's wisdom, is it not? How do we train? How do we develop? Well, we honor that role, and we mentor. You know, sometimes these little things right here, biblical things, we overlook them, and then we start searching outside of the Bible. What do we do? How do we train men? Get back in the Bible. It's the little things. You know how John Wooden would start his season with his collegiate athletes and the summer camps that he ran? He would have everyone there take off their shoes and socks. And then he would teach them how to properly put on their socks and how to properly put on and tie their shoes. His point was, when you do the little things right, success will follow. Ten national championships in 12 years. Unprecedented. Nobody has come close to that. I don't believe anyone will come close to that. But he didn't miss one detail. Brethren, all we need to do is go back to the Bible. It's these things. We might think they're minute. We might think they are somewhat trivial in one sense. They're not. If God's revealed it, it's important. And when we do it, I planted, Apollos watered, God gave the increase. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 6. Look, if you will, at this next point here. Number two, the next question. What should elders be mindful of as they seek to shepherd the flock? And what is their role in ensuring a growing congregation? Now, let's answer that first question. What should elders be mindful of? Well, look at our answer. One thing. One thing. Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing I have asked from the Lord, and that I will seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in his temple. One thing. It's a relationship. You remember the one thing, Luke 10 and verses 40 and 42? Martha is distracted. She's worried about many things. God says, Jesus says, one thing is needful. One thing. What did Paul say in Philippians 3? One thing. I haven't arrived yet, but this one thing I do. One thing. Look at the next point here. The one thing is twofold. 
Both Mike and John mentioned this. In Acts 20 and verse 28, the first part of it, take heed unto yourself. That's the one thing. Take heed to yourself. The next, Acts 20 and verse 28, again, take heed unto all the flock. That's what we're talking about. Now, notice what this says. This one thing is a proper relationship with God. That's the one thing they need to be concerned about. Their relationship and also the relationship of the flock with God. First and foremost, I want to drop something on you. I know our time is running out. Cody hasn't learned to tell time. He's about a half hour early. Now, Hebrews 13 and verse 17 Brethren, you correct me if I'm wrong, and I'm serious. I want to be corrected. For a long time, I hesitated ever becoming an elder because what I heard from that verse is that I was going to give an account for souls. Now, the verse really doesn't teach that. I don't believe there's any person that's going to give an account for anyone else's soul. We are all going to give account of ourselves. The deeds done in our body, whether they be good or bad, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. Hebrews 13 and verse 7, they watch, elders watch for their souls. And so what do they do? They watch for their souls as those who will give an account. What are they giving an account for? Not for the souls, but for their watch. That's all they can give an account for. Parents are not even held accountable as far as the sins of the child. Ezekiel 18, the soul that sins, it shall surely die. He talks about the righteous man who has an unrighteous son. He's not going to bear his iniquity. The son who has an unrighteous father, he's not going to bear their iniquity. I'm not minimizing the work, the responsibility of elders. But I'm just saying don't overload those men with responsibilities that are not biblical in the first place. They will give an account for their watch. But every one of us will give an account for our soul. Do this, if you will. Turn to that last question. How can the church honor her leaders? What is our role? Notice this is accomplished in one way. One pattern, one thing, one way. It's the same way children honor their parents and husbands demonstrate their love for their wives. You remember Exodus 20 and verse 12? Again, honor your father and your mother. Leviticus 19 and verse 3, reverence your mother and your father. You honor them, you reverence them. What does that mean? It means I obey them. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Ephesians 6 and verse 1. The husband with his wife, he does not just with word or tongue. Remember 1 John 3 and verse 18? You don't love with simply word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. You demonstrate that love. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church, gave himself for her. Ezekiel 24 and verse 16, she is the desire or should be of our eyes. God tells Ezekiel, I am taking away this night the desire of your eyes. A few verses later in that context, we realize it's his wife. That's how you demonstrate honor 
again. Look at this next point. We need to ask ourselves what honor, quote unquote, are godly elders seeking in the first place? Before we start giving them appreciation dinners, plaques, I'm not opposed to those things. Please understand that. But before we do that, let's honor them. Let's respect them. Let's obey them. I'll guarantee you this. All of those appreciation dinners, all of the plaques, all of the gifts that we could give them without the obedience, without the submission, they are meaningless. They become rather repulsive in the sight of a godly elder. Look at this, we all have a role. Our role is not defined in Second Samuel 11 and verse 15. David said concerning Uriah, take him and put him in the front of the fiercest battle and then withdraw. Isn't that what some do with their elders? Let's get this man qualified. Let's get this man, you know, in, in that position. And then we're through. We withdraw. No, it's not withdraw from him. Exodus 17, Aaron and her, it's uphold them. Be there for them. That's how we gain the victory. All of those verses, you know what they say. They're saying really the same thing. It's interesting. We're to clothe ourselves with humility. And brethren, when and if we do, we are going to, first of all, love and honor our God. We're going to love and honor those who lead us spiritually. I want to share this with you. I have a song I'm not going to sing it, so you don't have to worry about that. It's a song that some of you have probably heard. I just want to read the first stanza. In this song, it's from Kenny Rogers. It's a secular song. But here's the problem with humanity. We want to give to our elders, we want to give to our God what we want to give. Okay? Isn't that right? Malachi 1, verses 8 through 10. The lame, the blind, the sick, that which is taken for robbery. God says, give it to your governor, see how he... You know, if he's pleased with you. And then he says, oh, that there was one who would shut the gates, that they might not uselessly kindle fire upon my altar. Shut down the place if that's the best you're going to do for me. But this song, we want to give what we want to give. Listen to it, men especially. He works hard to give her all he thinks she wants. There's the problem. Men, not his working hard. Don't say Ken told me I don't have to work hard. Okay. He works hard to give her all the things he thinks she wants. A three-card garage, her own credit cards. He pulls in late to wake her up with a kiss goodnight. If he could only read her mind, she'd say, buy me a rose. Call me from work. Open a door for me. What would that hurt? Show me you love me by the look in your eyes. These are the little things I need most in my life. Godly elders will thrill to you, to me, saying thank you. You know, the other day I was thinking about one of our former elders, Alan Dotson, sitting in our house, and we have the house now because of his wisdom, because of his generosity. We couldn't afford a house like that. I told Alan I'm looking for a hut house. My background is construction. And so I was going to look for a house that needed work, and we were going to try to fix it up and make it presentable. 
He said, what about the house you're in? I said, we can't afford that, Alan. He said, well, make it affordable. They did. I just simply sent him a little text. Told him, thank you. Thank you. I know you always looked out for me and my family. You know what he said? You have made my year. I wasn't doing it for that reason specifically. I was just wanting to thank him for what he had done. But he said, you, you've made my year. That's what elders want. Esther 6, you remember when the king was not sleeping? He had the chronicles read to him. He realizes that Mordecai has saved his life, Big Fan and Teresh. They had a plot against him. And so he asked, what honor has been done for this man? They say, nothing. Nothing's been done. He said, who is in the foyer? Who's in the lobby? They say, Haman. You know Haman. He brings Haman in and he says, what honor? What honor should the king bestow upon the man that he wants to honor? Haman thought, who would the king want to honor more than me? So he laid it on thick. And then the king shocked him by saying, I like that. You go do that for Mordecai. Honor. We will create better men when we honor them and their work and the God behind their work. Thank you so much for your attention this morning.